democracy is dangerous. I'll bet that doesn't sound right to you. After all, we're used to quotes like, the world must be made safe for democracy. That was President Woodrow Wilson. Or how about this one? Democracy is worth dying for because it is the most deeply honorable form of government ever devised by man. Ronald Reagan. Or finally, democracy is the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. That quote from Winston Churchill. Despite these praises for democracy, you will soon understand that whether democracy is dangerous or not all depends on what your definition of democracy is. This is the Free to be Free podcast, encouraging you to assert your liberty because you are free to be free. Democracy can have more than one definition. The modern definition has grown to be more expansive than the simple definition of governance by a majority vote. The more expansive definition can be found at dictionary.com, and it goes like this. Government by the people, a form of government in which the supreme power is invested in the people and exercised directly by them, or by their elected agents under a free electoral system. Another definition is a state of society characterized by the formal equality of rights and privileges. And finally, a simple definition is simply political or social equality. With this lofty conceptual definition, the quotes in the opening of this podcast make perfect sense. But the founders had a different definition of democracy a definition rooted in practical historical experience that saw the inherent dangers of a system of pure democracy where each person simply has an equal vote in the outcome. Here are some quotes on democracy from our founders. Democracy is two wolves and a lamb voting on what to have for lunch. Liberty is a well-armed lamb contesting the vote. Ben Franklin Remember, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There never was a democracy yet that did not commit suicide. John Adams Democracies have been found incompatible with personal security or the rights of property, and in general, been as short in their lives as they have been violent in their death. James Madison Democracy is the road to socialism. Karl Marx. Okay, so Karl Marx, thankfully, was not one of our founders, but even he understood the consequences of pure democracy. And here is a frequently misattributed quote that explains it all. A democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the majority discovers it can vote itself largesse out of the public treasury. After that, the majority always votes for the candidate promising the most benefits, with the result being democracy collapses 
because of loose fiscal policy ensuing, always to be followed by a dictatorship, then a monarchy. Now, I said that was often misattributed. It's most often attributed to Alexis de Tocqueville, and it's pretty certain it wasn't him. Uh, there are a couple other options for that quote, but this just shows you the difficulty of verifying quotes on the internet. At any rate, at the heart of the founders' concerns with pure democracy is the formation of factions. James Madison defines what he means by a faction in Federalist Paper Number 10. By a faction, I understand a number of citizens, whether amounting to a majority or a minority of the whole, who are united and actuated by some common impulse of passion or of interest averse to the rights of other citizens or to the permanent and aggregate interests of the community. So you might correctly conclude that both the Republican and Democratic parties are factions. Both sound exactly like what Madison is describing. But factions are more than just political parties. The Tea Party is a faction. Black Lives Matter is a faction. The Freedom Caucus is a faction. The Alt-Right is a faction. Antifa is a faction. Occupy Wall Street is a faction. And dare I say it, the Convention of States Project is a faction. Factions are a natural result of liberty. Individuals have the freedoms of association and assembly, along with the freedoms of thought and speech. These are the causes of factions, and any attempt to restrict the causes of a faction is an exercise in restraining liberty. In a pure democracy, the problem is not the causes of faction, but the effects of faction. Madison observes that one of the effects of faction is that measures are too often decided not according to the rules of justice and the rights of the minority party, but by the superior force of an interested and overbearing majority. Now, I would add to Madison's comments and say that an interested and overbearing minority can be just as dangerous to justice and individual rights as an interested and overbearing majority. At any rate, the founders' solutions to these overbearing factions was to establish a republic rather than a democracy. For a deeper discussion of this, please listen to the Free to Be Free podcast episode number nine, A More Perfect Union. The features of the republic our founders created, which protect from the effects of a faction, are described by Alexander Hamilton in Federalist number nine. The regular distribution of power into distinct departments, the introduction of legislative balances and checks, the institution of courts composed of judges holding their offices during good behavior, the representation of the people in the legislature by deputies of their own election, they are means by which the excellences of Republican government may be retained and its imperfections lessened or avoided. Now we can see these features in the way officials are elected to serve in the federal government. In the original writing of the Constitution, the members of only one part of one of the three branches are to be selected by direct election. That's the House of Representatives. But even in this case, the effects of faction are mitigated 
by holding 435 separate elections rather than one national or even 50 statewide elections. Senators, in the original writing of the Constitution, were elected by state legislatures, providing a check and balance of federal power. Until the ratification of the 17th Amendment in 1913, the two components of the legislative branch were accountable to two different constituencies, the House of Representatives to the people and the Senate to the states. With the democratization of the Senate as a result of the 17th Amendment, we surrendered some of the Founders' important checks and balances. We will dig more deeply into this in a future podcast. The President is elected not directly by the people, but through a process called the Electoral College. As most citizens are now aware, it is possible to win the popular vote, yet not win the presidency. As a result, there is a movement to democratize presidential elections by abolishing the Electoral College. This would result in surrendering additional important checks and balances. We will also dig more deeply into this in a future podcast. Finally, members of the Supreme Court and other federal judicial officials are not elected directly by the people. They are nominated by the President and confirmed by the Senate. They continue to hold their offices during good behavior. This is another system of checks and balances. The states used to have an indirect check on this process prior to the ratification of the 17th Amendment. So if you really look at how our federal offices are filled, you will quickly see that our form of government is not a democracy. It is a constitutional republic featuring an ingenious system of checks and balances to temper the undesirable effects of factions. However, as we move towards democratization of the selection of our federal office holders, we surrender important checks and balances and expose ourselves to the undesirable effects of factions. Our best hope for restoring these lost checks and balances is an Article 5 Convention of the States. We need to restore the republic which our founders gave us, because democracy is dangerous. This is the Free to be Free podcast. I'm Paul Phillips. The opinions expressed are my own. You can learn more about the Convention of States project at conventionofstates.com. You can also find the Convention of States project on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. The first thing that you'll want to do at conventionofstates.com is to learn the issue for yourself. Then you'll want to sign the petition to let your state legislators know that you are ready to assert your liberty through an Article 5 Convention of the States. Until next time, stay free, my friends.